Hi, and welcome to the 451 Podcast. In this episode, Dawn and I are discussing a hot topic from the tech world, which is the metaverse. Is it the new dystopia? Is it pure innovation? Tune in to find out what we think about it. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Good to, good you? to see you. Not too bad. And you? Great. I am uh, for the first time while we record drinking coffee and not wine. <laughs> so I can't guarantee anything about the quality of my my input. <laughs> That's great. I'm drinking water with some ginger, so also let's see let's see what uh, what happens this time. Let's see. Hopefully the topic is going to take us there. Yeah. So the topic we we can we can go really deep into this topic. Yeah, hopefully. All right, so um, Diana and I talked and um, we thought that it would be very interesting to do this Double Trouble um, episode where we talk about um, some dystopian things that are happening, have been happening and probably will be happening more and more. Um, so yes, this is uh, that's a first. Yeah, so the thing is that, I mean, of course, we are students of EdTech and we do see the benefits um, that it is bringing to the development of education and uh, it, the democratization, democ democ democratizing education worldwide. <laughs> I'm not even going to cut that out. Um, but of course, as with any other technology topics, um, there are a few things that maybe worry us or should worry us uh, that seem or look scary and uh, we don't know how they might actually develop in the next 20 to 50 years. Right. Do you know what? Do you, the first thing I want to talk to you about is something very hot, even though it's been, it existed for 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 quite some time can you guess what i have in mind um i don't know what's hot now you don't know what's hot now in terms of uh, in terms of technology i want to say data privacy is that a thing still? okay that's uh, that's also hot i think uh, and it's good i kind of think it's going to be hot forever but Something that is still very hot, um, it's metaverse. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is hot, isn't it? I think it is, at least on Reddit. But then again, I'm on very weird pages on Reddit, so I don't really know what's hot anymore. No. But do tell me, do tell me what you want to talk about that. Come on. I mean, Mark... Uh... You know, after the whole whistleblowing um, in terms of uh, Facebook internal knowledge about how, how social media um, actually affects people, especially um, teenagers, you know, after that, where they had to rebrand to Meta. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it was um, when I heard about it, I was... I was a bit shocked because it literally 
seemed like something from a dystopia, you know, where we're moving towards this metaverse, right? This parallel universe on the internet. Um, and it, it just made me feel so weird and insecure, you know, like this massive changes is creeping upon us. How did, how did you feel when you first heard um, Mark present uh, metaverse? So I was a weird teenager. <clears throat> I, I would like to start off with that. So I had very conspiracy theory friendly um, <laughs> entourage. <laughs> okay, okay. So we were kind of talking about that for a while. We have been. So when that happened, we were like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I was right all of this time. So that's kind of like how I felt. But to be honest, you know... When you chit chat with your friends over coffee and you go into really philosophical topics, that's one thing. But when it's actually confirmed and you see a person like Mark Zuckerberg being literally questioned by every single person in the European Parliament, then you know that it's 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 way more than than that. So for me, it affected me to the point that I, I deleted social media. You know, I don't have social media and I am very I, I do see the benefit of it. Uh, to a certain extent, like, for example, promoting a podcast or your business or whatever. But um, it scares me. It scares me on a personal level. And I know that it's not just social media. I know that nowadays you cannot really open your phone without getting an ad to something or a suggestion to something. And I know that I am um, highly influenced by these things. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to question, but at some point it just becomes such an automatism that I don't know. You just sit down and ask yourself, did I really, do I really believe this? Why do I believe this? Right. Uh, so you so feel brainwashed. I do feel brainwashed. Yeah. And the funny thing is that I think everybody around me is brainwashed, but they don't really realize it. So I think that it's. I think we can go into the topic of do we have free will or not? But that's, you know, that's a whole nother story. I'm on the side that thinks that we don't really have free will and people who um, who use this metaverse, um, they they realize that and they divide people into different camps and they, you know, basically they they manage to tell people what to think. Right. And I see this, especially when I just sit down and listen to conversations on hot topics, mm -hmm. like say, the vaccine or, see, I know a few hot topics, like the COVID vaccine, which apparently is a hot topic that needs to be discussed at Christmas dinner, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, what else? Oh, refugee crisis is not so, so hot anymore, but that was also a topic that divided people into exactly two camps. And it's a bit crazy to see that there's always two opposites discussing the same arguments over and over again wherever you go and there's very few people who actually dare to question both so yeah to 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 summarize my answer i do feel brainwashed and i do i, I know that i'm brainwashed it's just that being aware of it kind of gives me this eerie uneasy feeling of what am i doing here you know mm -hmm. okay so I, I wanna I wanna get back to what you said about being a teenager with this um, conspiracy prone entourage. Um, 
So you started talking about um, about stuff like metaverse when you were a teenager. This whole, uh... I mean, for sure, we weren't talking about metaverse as as um, as the concept that we know now. But we were talking about mass surveillance and um, the you know back in the day after reading uh, 1984, Hmm? it it seemed distant in the future, but still kind of possible. And we would just pick on little things. Like back in the day, you had only TV ads to worry about. But even that seemed to me like quite the brainwash because you couldn't really watch a movie and enjoy a movie without in the middle of it... um, having been been told to buy this product or think about that or um, look at this. So you had that. Then you had, um, you know, just the way people look like in the ads. That was a big trigger for me. (laughs) Do you know what I remembered? (laughs) What? As a little girl, I would um, would watch um, ads for uh, hygienic pads Mm-hmm. And I would be incredibly <laughs> confused. Like the blue what? thing, the blue liquid. Like, what are these pads for? I mean, clearly, <laughs> I didn't know what period was. Um, periods yeah. were, and I remember just watching these ads and thinking, "What is that for? Is it for? Is it like diapers?" But then. What's the blue liquid? Why is it blue? I was so confused. It has nothing to do with uh, with metaverse or anything, but it just. Uh... But it's very funny, and I was always asking myself, why are these women jumping around? Why are they so happy after they put on the blue liquid? <laughs> and they're all wearing white pants. <laughs> I remember, I remember I had a friend who used to throw, we were like 15, 16, but he would throw this joke around quite often. He would ask me, Dawn, how do you know if a woman is on her period? And I'd be like, I don't know, she's angry. Like, you know, what answer do you expect from a guy? And he's like, no, she would be wearing white pants. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good one. But I do have to say in regards to ads, there there was a huge difference for me growing up in Romania. Yeah. There were some Romanian ads, but some translated ads from Western countries that, you know, had the whole marketing thing down to a T, even back in the day. And you saw the difference. I felt so emotional after watching those ads. I felt like I wanted to buy those products. So in a sense, especially American products, right? Like we put them on a pedestal and was like, wow, this is made in America. Wow. And it was literally post-Soviet countries. Yeah, 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 yeah. And our ads were like an old lady in a pharmacy saying, "Hey, <laughs> does your head hurt? Do you have back pain? <laughs> and go to a doctor." <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> well, I'm so I'm so happy that I can I can relate to this, but it it actually. I don't know. It it actually connects well to to the topic. This uh, these ads and what we what we just started talking about the state, the the soft power that uh, America has and has had for 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 quite some time. Even though it it seems to be um, decreasing. Um, I'm not sure. Are you are you not? 
my conspiracy theory friends would say <laughs> would think differently. Really? <laughs> me, me talking in third person about somebody else as if it's not my opinion as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, a, a cousin told me. <laughs> a pet, yeah. Um I'm not I'm really really not sure about that. It's not that it's I'm not saying that it is or it's not. It's just I don't know. I'm waiting to see if this is not another um marketing campaign for 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 the western culture if that makes any sense i don't know um but wait i wanted to ask you when was your first time that you realized that wait this is bullshit what uh, what is bullshit like we're being watched we're being brainwashed um i'm living in a parallel world um Hard to say. I um, I don't think I would be able to distinguish uh, um, a particular one moment, but I think I always had this at the back of my head, to be honest, because I don't know. I, I heard a lot of stories from um, you know, from my grandma about KGB and just um, you know, I think in all post um. Soviet countries, we we all have this distrust in in the environment a little bit, and what we are told to do. I think we're very aware of such thing as propaganda. So yeah, that's true. I think somewhere at the back of my head, I always knew, and I had an an aunt who, um, you know, who would constantly tell me that. Oh, you know, TV is brainwashing, uh, brainwashing you, and you shouldn't believe everything you see on on TV. So it was this message was was being very consciously conveyed to me. You know, so it feel it feels like it was always with me. But then one clear moment was um, when I went to China. And I realized, like, I kind of knew it, but then it became, it became so clear to me that not only China has propaganda, but so does the West. Mm. And it was an eye-opening experience. You know, I would, I would see one thing happening in, in, in China, but then would see different reports on that in in western media and i was like okay this is yeah that's crazy is isn't it you can see literally the simplest fact the simplest i don't know experience being reported in two different ways um right by two different countries yeah and uh, also so um i met this man who was studying I don't remember exactly sociology, and he was very pro pro China, like very. He was a huge fan of China, and I think it was him who made me sort of shift my views a little bit. You know, any time I had an argument against China, he would manage to sort of turn it around and throw it back at me, proving me completely wrong. I didn't agree with everything, but a lot of things that he said made 
a lot of sense. Like, for example, um, you know, in, in Western media, you see that China is portrayed as this sort of another Soviet um, communist country with the same problems like Soviet Union had. But it's actually not, you know, they had a lot of people living below the the poverty um, line. Is that the word? Yeah, I think, yeah. Threshold. And uh, what they managed to do, they they managed to pull out 80%. um, So I was like... Yeah, that's true. And comparing those two is just an oversimplification because... To be fair, the way China did that was, you know, by manufacturing a lot of things and building up businesses as well. Right. But also so subsidies. It yeah. is. Yeah, 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 of course. So it is, in in a sense, way more capitalist than the Soviet Union used to be. Oh, for sure. This is, I, I, so, think, I think it has a name like Chinese socialism, something like this. There is, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not so really like- comparing those two is is a bit absurd because I remember having watched a documentary about post communist Romania and the and the shock of the people who were still brainwashed because see the thing is that um you had a group of people of course the, the ones that started a revolution who knew that okay this is not what we want so we need to move on but you also had a group of people who were just living their regular normal lives who thought that this is it this is that was the entire their entire universe so after the re- revolution discovering that there's a whole world of capitalism was a huge shock for them and a lot of them still to this day could not adapt right and um what you saw in the early 90s were a lot of factories that were still kept in movement because the government didn't want to shut them off even though, you know, the the system was not communist anymore because that would have taken away the jobs of the people who didn't know anything else, who didn't know any better. So for a couple of years there, we had a lot of factories that didn't produce anything but just gave people jobs and meaning. Yeah. And I think this is also another thing to remember when we compare different countries or different political systems is that it's not always that easy to say who's who's better than the other. For these people... It's never easy. It's, yeah. It's For these people, the best thing to, to have was uh, the certainty of a job. And uh, they didn't want that freedom, that, the, that what we call freedom now. Right. Which, you know, is also debatable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, what was, uh, since you asked that question, I suppose you have a very distinct moment in your life where you realize that you, you are being brainwashed by these targeted ads. And um... I, I have a very specific moment when I realized that we were being brainwashed, but not by ads, but rather by our educational systems. And so... This is going to be a really, really good, um, really good link to our podcast. Tell me. I'm super curious. When I came to Germany for the first year, I uh, took a German. uh, 19. Okay. I took a German class. So it was basically a language uh, academy where we would just take German classes from morning to evening. And that was it. 
So my class was a bunch of people who also wanted to study or work in Germany and were trying to, you know, learn German. And I became friends with uh, a lot of them. And one of the girls, she was from Cyprus, from the Greek part of Cyprus. Once we had dinner and we were talking about, you know, things that you talk about, politics, religion, (laughs) stuff like that. Light topics. And she was saying something about Islam that was very, I want to say, anti-Islam propaganda. Uh You know, like the way people who are super Christian and anti-other religions portray Islam. And I was like, "That, that is not necessarily true. I mean, how do you have that information? And she said, no, that's how we learn it in school, in history class. And I was like, what do you mean that's how you learn it in school? So, And then I realized that, you know, Cyprus is divided into the Turkish side and the Greek side. And there's a lot of political conflict in between them. And the Turkish side is Muslim. The Greek side is Christian. So the, the weapon that they use is the way they teach kids in those schools about the other side. And that really blew my mind. Because I always thought up until that point, as naive as it sounds, that history is just history. You just relate you know, you, you just tell a story. So this is what happened. These guys won. These guys lost. That's it. But when I realized that, wait a minute. Man, I mean, that's then probably the people. I mean, there's a high possibility that the people in the Turkish side of uh, Cyprus are taught about Christianity just as poorly as the others are taught about them. So Wow. Yeah, that was my aha moment. And her, hers as well, because I told her that we didn't learn that. And we were both like, what? <laughs> wow, that, that is crazy. But I had, I had a very similar revelation about history. Um, yeah, maybe when I was around 20 as well. Maybe even later, to be honest. Maybe 25, something like this. And I think it was around that time when the world started, well, where we started to see this polarization, you know? And I think that kind of um, brought all these questions back um, and, you know, into, into media more. And I think maybe we all had the the same realization pretty much at the same time where we started questioning. Yeah, right. It's um, especially, I don't know which politician uh, was the one that said something like you should be on the right side of history. I think it might have been Barack Obama. Uh, Do you want to be on the right side of history or not? And I remember back in the day I was thinking, you know, I like you, but what is the right side of history? Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I feel like this is something that someone would say when they want you to be on their side. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm I'm actually very curious how people in 100 or 200 years will talk about what we're going through right now. I can't. Have you have you seen this um, new new film on Netflix? The don't, don't look up yeah oh my god <laughs> first of all i've never heard of the director so kudos to him getting that cast you've never heard of this director no 
man, when I saw the cast, I was like, who is this person directing the movie? And then I, yeah, but the cast is insane. I mean, you have Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, and Jennifer Lawrence in one movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Ariana Grande. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I thought, uh, I genuinely thought it was, it was so brilliant the way, um, yeah, the way our situation is portrayed and it kind of helps you to, um, to realize how absurd some things are. I love that it drew so many parallels to our current situation, but in such an eerie way, because like, for example, having Ariana Grande, but her name was Riley something, which is basically you had a parallel of Ariana Grande in this parallel universe. And you, you saw that with a lot of stuff like the president, right? Um, going through a major crisis and you have two opposite sides even though it was clear that you know that comet it was going to hit earth yet still people were debating it right you it, have elon musk and, and steve jobs in one person i loved that that was brilliant that was really <laughs> like, uh... yeah that was it was such a funny movie i mean i i think i really laughed out loud but it was such a funny movie in a very uncomfortable way i would like to say yeah because you saw so many things that you can relate to and well the end i don't want to give any spoilers but it's not very happy <laughs> yeah 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 so um getting uh, getting back to to metaverse is where we is where we started and then digressed into a lot of these um small bits um for quite some time I thought that after after Mark introduced Metaverse and just in general um you know told about rebranding Facebook's uh, rebranding I thought that they were creating like a platform which is called Metaverse but then I realized that it's not, that it's not a separate platform, that is just this parallel universe on the internet that is called Metaverse. Please tell me that you thought something like this as well. I didn't. Great. But I want to go back to the movie and correlate it to what we're talking right now. Yeah. Remember that part of the movie where this... Elon Musk slash Steve Jobs guy is talking to Meryl Streep, the president. No, he was talking to Leonardo DiCaprio, saying to him, I know everything about you. I know if you're, you have a disease even before you go to the doctor. And actually, we can predict quite accurately how you're going to die. <laughs> that blew my mind because in that moment, I was thinking... What if they can actually do that? Do you so think I don't know if that's true or not, but... Do you think we're that advanced? I don't know. I would, I would really love to know what this metaverse overlord knows about me. Overlord. <laughs> overlord. Uh, yeah. 
um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that they're this advanced yet, but I think, I think once a lot of people move to this metaverse, right, um, I think they're going to have even more data on, on us. And um, I don't, again, I don't know. It's, it's eerie. D um, I read an article on, on New York Times, which was written back in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Have you seen The Office? Great. Do you remember when Dwight had, um, Dwight used to play this um, like online game uh, called Second Life? I didn't know it was a real thing. Um, so apparently it was, it was a real thing. It actually existed, maybe still does. So secondlife.com. I'm kind of curious. <clears throat> I'm kind of curious to check. Secondlife.com. <clears throat> yeah, here we go. And Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. So it's like Sims, but better. Um and I didn't know, but back in 2007, IBM used to hold some of their meetings in Second Life. Yes. So it said that, um, this article, um, it said that over 5,000 IBM employees would hang out in this metaverse in Second Life. And I started thinking, where was I? You know, I was like, what, 16 in 2007? But it, I don't know if it's because it's Lithuania, you know, and things at that point for sure um, did not come to us that quickly. But it, it's a hu huge thing, you know, it's not... Again, people started talking about metaverse recently, like it's it's hot, right? But it's been it's been here all along, just maybe not to the point that we're gonna have it now. Yeah, yeah, I now understand what you meant with something that has been here for a long time, but only recently has become hot. I didn't know that. I mean, I know that nowadays, especially after post-pandemic, um, I mean, post-COVID, we're still in the pandemic. Yeah. Sorry. Um, more and more things are becoming digitalized. So there are all these platforms where you can kind of hang out, even in a work environment, um, that, that are not Zoom, right? That simulate a bit more. Like, I don't know if you heard of Wonder, for example. No, what's Wonder? Wonder is a platform that is actually really cool. A little disclaimer. That is Zoom, 
basically, but simulating the fluidity of a live meeting. So you would see, for example, a panel with different rooms and you're in a tiny circle, your picture is in a tiny circle and you move from room to room. And when you get close to a person, a bubble pops up where you see only the person that you're close to. And you can hang out, for example, in groups. It's like a party simulation in the digital world. So I know that we have that now and that now seems extremely innovative but now that you're telling me this i'm currently having my mind blown because 2007 was what <laughs> 15 years ago i know i know and 15 years ago people were hanging out in parallel universes this is insane this is insane in 2007 i had high five did you have high five no that was before facebook in, in between myspace and facebook I didn't have MySpace. MySpace, MySpace wasn't um, particularly popular in Lithuania. Nobody had MySpace. Unfortunately, we had Lithuanian platforms, very, very funny ones. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing like that, though. Um, I don't know if you've seen Joe Rogan's episode. Who was he talking to? I don't remember, but they were talking. They were talking um, about this metaverse and just, um, you know, basically people using VR to to escape from their real life. And I don't remember if 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 it was Joe Rogan or or his his guest, but they have a they had a very interesting point that with climate getting worse and worse. People uh, and pandemics, of course, you know, with with rising um, temperatures, uh, we're going to have more pandemics, more diseases, um, you know, malaria is coming to Europe, that sort of stuff. Um, they said, you know, climate, um, because climate is getting worse, people are going to start hanging out online. And... I was like, this is, this is a great scenario for a dystopia. It really is. And you know what that makes me think of? The fact that with the rise of this metaverse, people create parallel personalities as well, because you can present yourself as a different person. It doesn't have to be necessarily a different name or you don't have to lie about anything per se, but the way you present yourself, you have way more control over what people see than if they would meet you and hang out with you at work, uh, in, in a live environment or at school. If we are going to connect, connect it to education, I think it's really interesting to uh, notice that because I remember back in my social media days, people that I knew closely were just so different on, on social media platforms. And I think that if we're going to hang out digitally more, this is one thing that's going to also rise, this disconnect between who we are as people and who we present ourselves to be in, in, on the internet. Hmm. Hmm. But you think if, um, I think with social media, it's a bit easier because, you know, these are just fragments of yourself the the bits that you that you want to show and yeah I, I always you know I don't I don't create my social media 
um, having certain personal traits that I, I want to put out there. So I, I always wonder how I look, let, let's say, for, for people who don't know me. Like, how do they see me um, professionally? Uh, what what do they think of me? And what picture they have of me? But um, I think I think if we talk about um, hanging out in this metaverse, I think it it could be very difficult not to show who we are because if you do spend a lot of time there, um, you can't you can't do these fragmented bits. Yes, I think it's easier to do things when when you're not sitting with a person face to face. I I think these comments um, show it very well when people allow themselves to to write these disgraceful, extremely mean and aggressive comments. But you don't you don't really see this in real life. People don't have the guts to, and thank God, to to be this uh, this aggressive. They need a, a certain wall. Um, yeah, I, I just want to say something to that. Also, Joe Rogan episode. I don't know if you uh, listened to the one with Blair White. Uh, I like her very much, and that's why I immediately jumped on it when when he posted it. Uh, she was saying about these hateful comments. She gets a lot of hate on the internet, a lot. Okay. Um, I mean, so does every political commentator get, right? Because there's always going to be somebody who disagrees with you, so you kind of know what you, you're signing up for. Um, but... She said that once she was in L.A. and somebody stopped her. Hey, I want to take a picture of you. I'm such a great fan, blah, blah, blah. They took a picture. The person tagged her in the picture. And then she was like, oh, let me see who this person is. And apparently they were posting so much hate about her on the Internet. Which just, <laughs> just goes to show that if you meet a person in real life, you would probably never curse them or call them names or, you know. And probably that person, I mean, even with this haters on the internet if you put that much energy into stalking somebody i mean either there's something wrong with you or you actually low-key like that person and you don't want to admit it yeah but what i meant with different um even in this metaverse where you would for example hang out on a platform like we do right now i still think that the environment dictates a lot how I move, how I talk. And now, for example, I'm, I'm still, after the, all these years, I'm still not used to being in front of a screen, seeing myself there very small in the corner and seeing you, but only your face. Right. So I think that I speak differently to you when we are recording on Zencaster compared to when we are face-to-face. So I think huh. this kind of changes, but... At, at least from my from my perspective, I, tell me how your experience with teaching is teaching online versus teaching face to face. That is a good question. Um, well, as always, pros and cons, right? Um, I on one hand, it's easier because. If I feel down that day, if I'm not in a good mood, if, um, I don't know, if something bad happened, had happened on that day, you know, it's it's easier to be behind the screen. 
it's easier to i don't know i can i can slouch a little bit you know because it's still mostly my face you don't see my posture it means i can i can relax a little bit more and um communicate because you know i work closely <clears throat> to people with people sorry then um it it does require a certain amount of of energy um um so that's that's good it feels like it feels like i can hide behind the behind the screen a little bit and it makes my job easier on those days in general overall though um it makes me tired faster i don't know how to explain it but when you're in a room full of people who want to learn and just interact with each other there is this energy bubble created in the middle of the room that you can use as a um, battery a little bit that gives you energy in the moment you feel energized which doesn't happen when you do this online so and i think it has to do with with the position that that i'm sort of that i have to be in when i teach online which is sitting which means i i don't move my arms as much i don't walk from one place to another from one spot in the classroom to another and uh, yeah sitting is is also tiring so i think that's that's also another thing and um it's definitely harder to um it takes it takes more time and it takes more energy to recognize um some body language right i want to make sure that my students understand uh i want to make sure that everything is clear to them and it takes that extra effort when when you teach online especially if it's a group because in the class you can you can feel it if you're even if you're standing um i don't know quite far away you can still feel or you can overhear things that people are discussing between them and you're like oh you're discussing this but i hear that this is this might not be um the right thing um but yeah you you can't you can't do it uh, online so there is definitely um some but also i assume that uh, if your students are discussing live during class over something that you're saying you can also take that as feedback like maybe i should make this more engaging or maybe this the, the what i'm saying right now is not clear enough or i think that there's more of a maybe connection and feedback um like instant feedback that you have with live anything live teaching live ted talks live whatever um if if you i don't know i mean i firstly i don't i don't have i don't have very big groups right my my biggest group is um six people um and i do it because i want to be able to see everyone's face i want to be able to see everyone's reaction and kind of just read them a little bit because to be honest often times when you ask people 
does that make sense? Is this clear to you? They say yes. But then you give them another example or you give a similar task and you see that mm, not entirely. Which I say doesn't happen that often in class because you, when you read people, it's kind of clear. Is this clear? And they say, yeah. And you still see their body language, maybe their, um, I don't know, uh, maybe the, the way they sit or maybe the way they sound, uh, th their voice sounds. It's definitely easier to do that. And uh, because they can't communicate with each other unless they're, un unless they're in a separate like room, um, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't overhear things that actually help you to identify what needs to be reviewed, repeated, etc. So, yeah. Um, but getting a little bit away from teaching and just hanging out in, in this metaverse, I know that even cam girls are shifting um, to, to this, which... Could be, I don't know, I found it a bit strange, to be honest, because, I mean, cam girls are all about, you know, the, the looks and human, human form. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, e explicit content and nothing like that, but just, you know, women who sit in nice clothing and, and talk to, to um, to their fans. So apparently there has been a shift in that as well. Where, yeah. Yeah. And one of the most popular cam girls is this, um, anime looking woman. Um, and apparently there's some rage in cam girls community because this is not fair and, you know, that sort of stuff. So a lot of what do you mean that there's a shift? Are they is there a trend now to talk behind like virtual avatars? Yeah, or... it's it's becoming that. It's becoming that more and more. That's interesting. Isn't it? That is very interesting. And I wonder if that's not because I mean, look, if we're hanging out more and more in this digital environment, we we tend to get, you know, comfortable or attracted to or, you know, feel good around the things that we know. Yeah. So maybe for some people, this becomes the only environment that they know. Right. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective that then it would be easier to use an avatar to talk to people if that's something that they're comfortable with. Yes. But this is insane. Isn't it? <clears throat> the fact that we're switching to it's not it's not even a parallel universe anymore it's becoming our main universe right oh my god i know i know and uh, i remember again after after i got back from from china um people asked me so did you find any asian guys attractive and I was like, mm, okay. Um, 
And the weird thing was actually is that I think I think we talked about it that in Lithuania other races like right now more and more people are coming to study to work etc. But I don't know up until five years ago seeing another like a black person or Asian person on the street it was still a bit like wow I wonder what this person is doing here. They must be tourists. They must be tourists right definitely. Yeah. So with like our eyes are definitely not as used to other races as let's say uh, peoples who, who live in London. And I realized that You know, before going to China, um, again, don't mean to seem to sound racist, but a lot of Asian people did look very alike to me. And when, sorry, and when um, when I went to China, I realized that, you know, they're, they're very different, um, like every person, however ridiculous it sounds, Every person is very different, just like, let's say, Caucasian people. And I started finding Asian people attractive, which didn't happen to me before. And right. I realize that this is because, again, as you said, it's what you're used to. You know, you find those things beautiful that you are used to. Right. And I, I do have something to say about your uh, realization that people look different. I also, well, before coming to Germany and being exposed to a multicultural environment and seeing people from all different races and ethnicities together, I also had, of course, about certain ethnicities, the impression that, well, they have very, very similar features close to the point where I couldn't distinguish them. Yeah. Uh, especially with uh, Chinese people. And then I had a classmate in my German class who was Chinese. And she said to me, Diana, when I came to Europe, everybody looked the same to me. <laughs> and that's when I realized it's not by any means a racist thing. It's you're just not exposed to. Yes. And I think that it's the same thing with people that have never been exposed to, you know, any race. If... You know, you just see the features that are distinguishable from you, right? Like maybe different skin tone, different maybe bone structure. And that's what stays in your mind. And you kind of associate every person from that ethnicity slash race with yeah. those features. And of course, then they look the same to you. If that's the first thing that you see. Right. But if you live with people that are maybe you see all of a sudden 10 to 100 people from the same ethnicity, you start looking like your brain automatically starts differentiating because at some point you have to talk to them. Yeah. You have to interact to them with them. So it makes sense that, but it's such an interesting phenomenon, I have to say. But you, you And know it what? blew my mind when she said, I thought you guys all looked the same. <laughs> I was like, how, how <laughs> touching my hair, my face, how is that possible? Yeah. 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 And uh, there was, um, read it a long time ago. So I, I can't be sure that all my facts are, uh, are correct. But uh, there was this boy, if I'm not mistaken, there was this boy who was left by his mother and he grew up in the jungle. I'm not talking about Tarzan, no. But 
basically he grew up with uh, with apes and then he was found so of course some scientists took him in to do some research blah blah and what they realized is that for this boy it was easiest to it was easier to distinguish uh, between apes than people like he it was easier for him to to recognize different apes than to recognize different people. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm, okay, okay, here, here we go. Even just that, just that, whatever you're used to, whatever you're used to. So yes, I think, I think, I think this is, um, <laughs> if we were to make predictions about the, about the future, I think we're, oh, also, also the whole filters, right? Um, on social media, the whole Snapchat filters, um, TikTok filters, we can clearly see how this is influencing how we want to look, what we want to look like. And I mean... Yeah, but but which also is influenced by what we think is beautiful because it's somehow the things that we are exposed to in the media or in ads or, you know, it's just, I think that it's sad when people are caught up in this and they think that nobody notices. But when you know a person and they use the same filter and you see them on the street and you know that, you know, they they want to look a certain way, they present themselves, I don't know, a smaller nose or whatever the filters do, um, you also see this correlation, like I said, to what we perceive as beautiful, which is uh, also pretty scary. Yeah. I know that there was a scandal. I don't know if it's Snapchat or another. No, it was another app that had filters. Uh-huh. and But it was a long time ago, like 10 years ago. And they had this option to beautify. Uh-huh. And what they did, it made your skin lighter. And people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where was yeah, that? So, which, which country was that in? I'm not sure. I don't know if it was like a very popular app in the West or not. Because with Asian countries, I know that this is a big um, beauty point, like having lighter skin. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah. Also, I think beauty standards are not just correlated to what we see, but also what we what we see as economically better. What do you mean by that? Like, for example, back in the day, in the Renaissance uh, phase of Europe, back in the day when When I was was a little kid, (laughs) when I was young, I mean, you saw all these paintings of, like, beautiful women with very, very light skin and, you know, a little bit... Chub- what we would consider to nowadays chubby no 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 we what? would we would consider that curvy these days oh yeah okay yeah no, voluptuous. Sorry. I'm, I'm, voluptuous i'm using all uh, you guys can't cancel me anyway because i don't exist <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but it was because you know people in europe who were very white were people who didn't have to work on the field yeah because you wouldn't get a tan if you were just chilling in your house, villa, apartment, maison, mm-hmm. <laughs> all day. And it's the same with, you know, being a bit curvy. <laughs> it means you had food. Yeah. So um, I do still think that um, 
to some degree in some cultures, maybe not in the West because it's kind of becoming uniform, but beauty standards are correlated to wealth. Like whoever is wealthy and looks a certain way, that's beautiful. But you know what? Do you know what? Um, I remember watching this documentary about food. I don't remember which one um, it was, but um, it kind of hit me that, you know, the cheapest food in the States, and we want it or not, but States, America is still a huge influence. Yeah. Um, You know, the cheapest food actually makes you fat. So McDonald's, all the processed food that people buy, which is also very cheap, you know, water is more expensive than um, than a bottle of, of Coke or, or Pepsi. Um, and this is why it's still, you know, trendy to be skinny, I thought, because it literally separates people who can get um, organic foods, you know, vegetables and all of that good grains and people who actually don't have enough money to to buy good good food yeah yeah i i see it the same it's a parallel to what i was saying but back in the day was you know you you had money if you were curvy and now you have money literally if you are skinny yeah yeah but also very interesting that these um you know in terms of in terms of of beauty we have this surge of big lower half of um, of our bodies for for women, so thick thighs, big bum. Uh, that might be biological, though, because I think that um, on a very primitive level, this shows the capacity of bearing children. But doesn't it? I'm not. I'm not qualified to talk about this for sure. Doesn't it come from Africa mostly? Weren't these the? Um, I mean, again, Africa has you know different different countries, but wasn't it more of a standard in a lot of African countries, like having having thighs and and big bum? I'm not sure if that was a standard or maybe just a different body structure in general for our women, but uh, it is, I mean, it is also a bit funny to see all these influencers slash celebrities like white in the, in the West trying to kind of imitate quote black features, like something that you would imagine on a natural African woman, like, Maybe fuller lips, fuller breasts, fuller, you know, bum, thicker thighs. That's what I'm saying, that these mm-hmm. standards suddenly, or maybe not suddenly, I don't know. I, I didn't really notice when that changed, but they got transferred to Western culture. Yeah, but they're still only popular because Western culture is now promoting them. Oh, yeah, because for sure. This is crazy. I mean, yeah, but nowadays that's called, I think, blackfishing. When a woman of, yeah, no, there's, there's a name for everything, but it is called black fishing when a woman of uh, lighter skin tone, so like white or any derivates from that, is trying to enhance her body in a way that she would look like as if she wouldn't be um, white. 
Yeah. You see that a lot. Also with fake tan, a little spritzer in the lips, a little spritzer in the ass, and then you're good. Like ethnically ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's it's talked about this way, at least at this point. But but one of my favorite things to do at the end of the year is uh, and this is something that I started doing maybe when I was 16 or so is to read um, The Economist and they have uh, predictions for next year. Um, and I remember I bought The Economist when I was when I was 16. I don't remember where I was flying to, but I bought The Economist to read on the flight and it had this. And I was like, this is so great. This is This is amazing. I need to keep it and see if these things actually happen. Of course, I did. I, you know, I didn't check. But uh, so, anyways, this year, uh, I watched it a few days ago, and it was about um, one of the points was African fashion, uh, sort of becoming popular in. Uh, oh, but this trend is rising, uh, for sure, not, with African fashion, but not just. Uh, a lot of these big players in the fashion industry like Zara and H&M have been stealing patterns from traditional clothing, even Eastern European. I don't know if you noticed that Zara at some point had these shirts. I don't know if you have it in Lithuania, but with these motives. Uh, well, I will, I will send you a picture anyway. But there was a huge outrage in Romania because it literally looked like what my grandma would make me for my birthday. Right. <laughs> And then this whole movement started where where they realized that, wait a second, they're just literally stealing patterns from all over the world. And um, but is I it, think... Um, is it stealing? Like, is it... Why, why is it stealing? Because they don't give any credit to that. I mean, it's, it's, as, if, it's as if you would um, take a painting and print it and call it yours and sell it. Huh. You scan a painting, print it, sell it, and say it's 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 yours. It's I mean I think it's illegal. Hmm. Yeah, with painting. I think if you mention it, like this is inspired by Romanian fashion, or this is inspired by that something else, because it's at least you know giving credit and bringing awareness and whatever. Because it's really hard, of course, to to pinpoint who created that design. So it's not about revenue, but I think that it's also also very hypocritical. Dior had a, a suit that was literally an entire suit copied from traditional Romanian um, attire. Okay. So, you know, the minute you, you make a lot of money out of something that you didn't create, but you act as if you created it. Hmm. To me, this this is this is a big topic because it's not like these these people that have created these patterns or that are doing this traditionally have the business knowledge to actually come up front and sell the, sell them themselves. So, like I said, I think for me personally, it's this. Is it inspired? Are you going to say it's inspired by somebody else? Are you going to you know like are you going to bring awareness to the fact that other people are actually doing this, or are you going to act as if? You created it and sell us the suit for two thousand euros. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I suppose there should be some 
um, credit given because it's it belongs to the nation to that specific yeah. nation. So I suppose credit should be given for sure. Interesting, interesting. But go back to the African fashion thing. Yeah, so th- that's uh, that's what it said, and uh, apparently it was a big thing when uh, how's it called Black Panther was released, and um, that. Um, costumes were were praised by a lot of people and that kind of pushed uh pushed this change even even forward um so yeah that's that's what it said that um the patterns and um models we're gonna have a lot of that in in 2022 and i, I want to ask you a scary question about beauty standards since we've been talking about this a lot yeah do you think that If we get to the point where we hang out a lot in the digital universe, there will be such a concept as beauty standards. Interesting. Huh. Or how will we judge people? Yeah, or that as a follow-up. If not, how will we judge each other? So I think I think because in 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 metaverse right you can you can choose any any type of avatar uh, but I still think that people like women a lot of women will want to be uh, will want to enhance some features like maybe um, long legs or bigger bum or bigger chest just because let's say biologically. Um, Again, these traits they they signal something, right? They signal about fertility. They signal, even though even though if we hang out in in, in metaverse, right, it's it has nothing to do with fertility and <laughs> the ability to procreate. Um, so maybe over the time it will change, but I think. It will take quite a lot of time to to actually change to shift from that, let's say, biological attraction. Hmm. Um, That's a fair point. Yeah, because e- even these cam girls, right? I I see I see them, and that's that's what they are. You know, quite skinny, long legs, big bum, big chest, um, sort of this, a bit childish face with with big eyes and big lips and you know that that kind of stuff so i don't know i know it's very interesting and it is very interesting how dating is going to shift um do you know this guy matthew hussey no i don't so maybe a week ago i um i saw a video of him like some of my friends have been telling me about him Quite. So basically, it's a it's a British guy who talks about dating, um, sort of coaches people how to, um, but not in a stupid way, you know. I I watched um, I watched a few videos of his and I was like, okay, this is this is quite interesting because he talks about how to get a partner, what traits you should look um, for, and you know, basically that you should be happy yourself and. Um, you know, when he talks about red flags, he doesn't talk about, oh, if you see this, do that. Or if you see this, do that. He's more about, 
you know, he puts everything in, in context. He, he does uh, stress that context is very important. Um, What's his name again? Matthew Hussey. Okay, <clears throat> I'll check him out. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's, he, he's quite smart, to be honest. Um, so, and in one of the episodes, he's got a podcast with his brother, I think, and they talked about how dating is going to shift. So it has shifted with Tinder and Bumble and Happen and all these other dating apps, right? Um, and... But then they talk about how it's going to shift when we actually hang out in in this metaverse, right? So how how how's going to happen? How will we have to scan our bodies and look exactly the same, not to Mm. you know, not to trick somebody into liking us or is it going to be purely based on someone else's personality and your actual mm. looks will have nothing to do with um, um, with another per- person falling for you. But I think it's still... I don't think it's it's possible. I don't think it's possible to separate the two, attraction and the looks. Me neither. Even if it's online, you know? Like, the way you portray yourself. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this, this is, a yeah, very interesting. I don't think that, I mean, if dating is really going to happen in, in the metaverse, I don't think oh, we can separate sure. it from looks. It's not if, it's when. That, that's a fair point. I don't think we will be able to separate it from looks. Moreover, I think that, well, it's not just enough to see a person on a screen. Maybe we'll use something like virtual reality glasses to talk to each other. And then you would actually see the person as if they were in front of you or, you know, something like that. But th- that's, how I, that's how I see it going with the looks part. But do you know what? I think we... Even now we have technology to actually feel another person who is like miles away. Um, there are for sure, I just don't remember exactly, but there there are for sure sex toys that allow you to, you know, to interact with someone who is like far, far away. Really? Mm-hmm. So what do they do? Do they they move it and then you get the same movement or... Something like this. Something like this. I was so naive. I, I only knew about the lamp that if you touch, the other person sees it lighting it up. Right. But yeah. This has been taken to the next level. Yeah, I remember um, I remember with, uh, with my boyfriend, we had these uh, smart watches. And then you could... So we sort of synced our watches together and then... Uh, you know, you could poke another person like by by touching um, a certain button, and and it was it was really cool, you know. Just uh, you know, and you see if you get a response. So it's like you poke each other. And you're like, oh, I'm thinking about you without having to send a message. That was that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, but there are definitely sex toys, and I'm thinking, 
you know, this whole this whole experience could could even get slightly different with uh, with all the let's say electrodes connected to your brain. And if we figure out, um, you know, which which parts of the brain to to stimulate to actually feel um, what another person is thinking, it's I, I don't know. I think it's like max five years from 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 now really yeah do you think that this is going to be a concept relevant for universities because right now you have limited uh seats or limited places for uh university students you only you I mean most of them have um an exam or you know you have to apply and then i don't know only 30 or 300 are accepted But do you think this is going to be relevant? Like, do you think anybody could eventually study at Harvard online? Yeah. And have a full-on live experience in the digital world? For sure. For sure. I mean, I know that there are things in creation right now where people are creating digital classrooms, as in VR classrooms, where you uh, where you sit down and... Um, Um, and we're via uh, goggles and uh, yeah you get this uh, immersive experience you're you're in the classroom so this is for sure in the making um, hmm. I mean technically then universities wouldn't need a physical place they wouldn't need a physical building to maybe just for administrative stuff or whatever but if you would have that in the future technically hypothetically mm -hmm. you wouldn't you you could just send uh, these VR glasses to kids right however um i still think that you know these ivy league universities just like luxury brands like luxury handbags for example um they are luxury because not many people can do it So I think the fact that, you know, we'll have the tools and we have the, the ability to, to give the access to this, I don't think that means that universities will increase the, um, the number of students that they accept because it's Harvard or, or Stanford. These are luxury brands in, in education. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I do. I do think though that enrollment is going to get more difficult and uh, more complicated. So I think it's going to go the other way because people from all over the world will be able mm. to do it. So you will definitely get the smartest. <clears throat> excuse me, the smartest ones. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, because prob. I mean you would have to have lower tuition fees if no real estate is involved. But do you remember what happened during the pandemic where people studied online and they paid um, these literally incredible, to me, uh, fees for, for universities and they had to, to study at home. They paid for... Uh, the whole experience, uh, meaning living on campus, going to lectures, interacting with uh, with teachers, and um, yeah, and there was um, it was all over all over the place. Um, 
where people said give um, give our money back, but I I don't think these universities did. Oh yeah, but you're right. I think with these luxury brand universities, people are always going to be willing to pay whatever it takes to have that. So if you don't want to pay it, there's going to be another person that wants to pay it. Yeah, and I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not. I was about to say shitting, but maybe not appropriate. I'm not. I'm not against these universities in in any way. These are these are great universities with, uh, um, I mean, with certain um, with certain possibilities. Let's put it that way. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think that these fees are are normal. Um, yeah, me neither. It's just, it's insane. It's me neither. I mean, I know somebody who went to MIT who had a scholarship yet still had to pay, I think, what was it, 70K a year yeah. with a scholarship? Yeah. I mean, what, what do people pay when they don't have a scholarship? It's insane. A kidney? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. You get in there and there's a doctor waiting on you with a, with a knife? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So do you want to pay in cash or? Or in kidney? <laughs> I don't think a kidney is that expensive, though. A kidney is not a good organ because we can live with one. I read about <laughs> it. I think it was like around 20, um, in black market, of course, it's around 20,000. Oh, that's nothing. Dollars, yeah. yeah. That's really nothing. You can't even pay two weeks at Harvard. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Kidneys is. Long. Maybe for a summer school, yeah. a crash course. <laughs> This this is eerie, but yeah, there is uh, there is this book uh, called uh, Weapons of Math Destruction. Ooh, I love it. It sounds nerdy. It is nerdy. It's it's incredibly nerdy, and I think you would like it. But um, so it's it's actually a woman. Um, I haven't finished this book, but I I read a bit of this book, and then I watched Social uh, Dilemma, and this woman was also talking on that uh, documentary. I don't I don't remember the, her name. But there was uh, a very interesting story about, um, about these tuition fees and how these universities got to be where they are. And it's basically everything changed when they, uh, when they started rating schools. And it's uh, it's become a vicious cycle, right? Because if your school is up there in the rating, then more people will want to go to that school. Um, and then, you know, those schools, of course, will increase their fees and more people will want to go there. And then, you know, it's just, it's just a vicious circle. Without money, they will be able they will be able to get better professors, uh, better facilities. And they talk about, you know, swimming pools and these incredible dorm rooms that they built for, for their students. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's become a, a vicious circle just because of this uh, rating system, which is also criticized in, in the book as not uh, necessarily, um, you know. Where did you go to university? Was it Lithuania? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Unfortunately, did you do a semester abroad or something? No, I was working the whole time, so I didn't. I, oh wow! Yeah. Um, I think I kind of regret that I didn't do a semester abroad. Yeah, same. Um, 
because I now I especially studying you know smart ed tech. Uh, it's nice to see people from from all these different places that studied in different countries. But I think it would have been a nice experience to actually see what other universities look like. For sure. Where would you have loved to go? <clears throat> you know, I I um I always thought about uh, France. It was. Uh... But uh, right now, if I could go back in time, I think I would I would go to the UK, to be honest. Mm. Um, and also, I still have um, my dream to go to the Netherlands to, to study because um, yeah? they have um, this Rotterdam University. I don't know about other programs, but uh, in psychology, they have this quite unique way of studying where you don't have that many lectures. Um, and not even lectures, these are more of seminars, you know, where basically you work a lot on your own, you read a lot on your own, and then what you do, you just go to class and then you discuss the shit out. Kind of like a flipped classroom thing. What do you mean by that? Well, when you uh, go to class after reading and uh, oh. learning by yourself and then you go there only to ask questions yeah so it's it's not uh, it's not only to ask questions but it's also to uh, um you know to discuss things so basically you you gather knowledge and then you try to crystallize um what you actually think about it and and see and and discuss it so that was what really was missing in my university because it was all about it was all about reading and then regurgitating everything uh, on a sheet of paper during the exam. So I would literally study two days before the exam, um, get get an eight out of ten, uh, just yeah. And then forget everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. To be honest, unfortunately, I, I don't feel that um, I have an, an education per se. Oh, I understand what you mean. That's a tough one. Having a degree, but not an education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit ashamed, to be honest, because, um, you know, I, I I have a degree in, in French, um, which kind of I think made my French a bit worse I didn't know it, it was really possible but also I don't know it was it was so depressing it was it was so dull um, in my in my experience so maybe others had uh, w would say something different but for me it, I, I don't think it was a good way of of, of studying and, and teaching to be honest no not All professors, not all teachers, for sure, no. But um, a big part, yes. Just read, do some exercises, regurgitate. That's it. Off you go. And then get a degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so yeah. And um, um, I really, I kind of enjoy our university in terms of, you know, the tasks that we get to do and it has a lot of working on your own, figuring things out on your own, um, which is great. 
and also a lot of uh, collaborations, a lot of group work. Um, yeah, I think so too. And the assignments are very practical. Yeah, for sure. Um, mine for this semester on digital digital ethics is to write an essay on one of the topics that um, George recommended. And one of the, the listed one was actually um, about Snowden. So that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you get to discuss that and think about that in the frames of a university, I think that's really cool. Because I also didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more relevant than learning the history of, I don't know, told by I don't know whom, and then just writing it down on a piece of paper. Yes. In a frame of two hours. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm going to write about uh, gaming addictions. So. Ooh. Ooh, that's a nice one. Yeah, I mean, all you, the you, all the topics there, they're, they're great. They're great. They're amazing. I mean, they're so relevant to what's happening now and to what is going to be important, you know, especially in the, um, uh, in ethics, because it's, I don't know, it's super important. And we see that in sport, we see that it's important every day. So... Yeah, I mean, it's very connected to our topic of, of today, right? Metaverse. Um, the thing is that, you know, philosophers for a very, very long period of time defined ethics as perceived in their culture or as perceived by their religious beliefs or whatever. So we do have for our real life a lot of principles you surrounding ethics, right? We do have also debate surrounding a lot of topics, but um, there are a lot of things that are already defined. Mm. And I think that this is such a relevant thing to discuss ethics in the digital world, especially now with the correlation with the metaverse. What is, what is new? What are, what are the new rules? What matters now? How do we treat each other? Um, and I think you can really dive into things with the gaming addiction topic yeah for sure for sure and uh, do you know what i i um um a friend of mine posted um a story about getting this 23 and me you know those sets to check to to check where um to check your genetics your ah. um you know and the there have been a lot of there has been a lot of mess in the media again about, but how is this data going to be used? Uh, what are these companies going to do with it? They just you know it's it's very private your your health your your genetics and all of this. And she made a great point that uh, you know we have very different laws regarding um, data privacy uh, in the European Union and in the States. So we did. You have phone books in um, in Romania. We did, yeah. Do you still have them? No, we don't. Do you? No. And isn't that creepy? I know. That somebody could just look you up and call you. I know. I know. I know. It's. We had the big yellow ones. Did you have those too? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Were, were they called the yellow books in other countries? 
I know that they were like the white pages and the yellow pages. I don't remember. I think the white pages were people, like individuals, and then yellow pages were like companies and businesses and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, yes. I mean, when you think about it now, this is bloody insane. Having the telephone number, having the address, last name. I know. We used to prank call a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I kids. Yeah, I used to call my uh, my crushes, uh, oh, yeah, and then wait for them to pick up, and then be like, <gasps> and then hang up the phone. <laughs> I had the guts to call, but didn't have the guts to speak. I mean, I I never had anything prepared. I knew I was going to hang up. <laughs> I just needed. <laughs> okay, that was that used to be the plan all along. Yeah, I see. Just wanted to hear his voice. Ah, oh, yes, yes, insane. Good old days. And that, but to be honest, I haven't heard. I think China now has new nets, new set of um, of regulations for their privacy, uh, for their data privacy. It just really, yeah. I think it was released this year, but I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be sure because it's like um, I read it somewhere at some point, so it's like. Um, I would need to check on this because I would be very, very curious how they define it. Me too. I think as of now, we're kind of lucky that Europe has a bit stricter rules with data privacy because I, I, I get to be offended if somebody calls me and I didn't give them my number. I get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that back in the day, that wasn't an, a, a, you know, like an option. Right. And I'm pretty sure that you can sue people if they give away your, your private number. I don't know. It would be it would be very interesting to talk to a lawyer, a person who is in the in this field of uh, data protection. To be honest, could be something. Um, Have you ever? You know that you can actually ask the European Union to give all the information that they have about you on a specific platform. That is a. That is a right that we have in the European Union, but uh, not everybody else. Yeah, but do we do we ask European Union or do we ask the the platform itself? It's the European Union. It's a form on their website, but you have to um, say which specific platform you want. Ah, <gasps> ooh, yeah. I kind of I'd like it. to do that. I I would be very very curious. I don't know. You know, again, the conspiracy theory kid in me pops up. I don't know if they're going to give me everything they have, but I think it will be still very mind blowing to see. Just the entire record, my entire footprint yeah. on the platform, even if they maybe have like deeper analysis of where she was and what she did. And I was just watching a, again, a snippet from, uh, from Joe Rogan's interview with Snowden. What, what basic, what basically they, they do is they literally record what you were doing when you had a breakup. Where do you go? Uh, when you're tired, where do you go? Like, you know, I'm sure that I'm not going to get that. But it will still be, I think, insane to see a record of all of my private messages, all of the pictures that I liked, all of the... It's it's very, very interesting. But I, I've never done that. Me neither. Yet. Yet. Yet, yeah. Because this also happened because some Austrian law student kid was like, 
wait a minute, I want to know what you have on me. And he sued the European Union. Oh, um, did he? You know, yeah. Smart guy. Yeah, smart right? Smart kid, huh? Uh-huh. Really smart kid. Love it. <laughs> Love it. This is great. I, I, I guess he, he was uh, Gen Z as well. No, that was a, uh, some time ago. Oh, okay. A millennial. I think, a, I think he's a millennial, one of ours. No, I think I, I still think he was Gen Z in a millennial's body. So he was just born in in a wrong year. That's that's all it was. Still Gen Z. It, it can't be a millennial. <laughs> that's true. Sounds, sounds like mean, a Gen Z person. It is. On one hand, it is scary that Gen Zs and the next generations are going to be literally just growing up in this environment they don't really have another alternative as we did but it's also interesting to see that they do know their rights yeah. i mean the majority way more than we do and did so um i'm very curious how i mean there's probably going to be studies conducted on nowadays students and comparing them to students that didn't have digital tools i'm very curious what impact this whole digitalization of education will have on today's students in 20 years or 30 years, or if there would be any impact, maybe there won't, there, but there must be some impact. Like I don't, I don't imagine. I mean, brain is very plastic. So this plasticity allows to, for things to, to shift, to change. And uh, it's impossible that, the fact that we are staring at screens all day long doesn't doesn't affect us like it's impossible i don't think that we're gonna again again it comes mm -hmm. how do i put this remember when we talked about rich people and poor people and how you know because poor people can only afford let's say mcdonald's and Again, that's more more about the states. I think, um, but I think in Europe it's it's also changing, right? That good good food, let's say nutritious food, is getting more and more expensive. But I think a very similar thing is happening with um, with education. So people who can afford, let's say, to work less hours and spend more time with their children, get invested in their time to check how they spend their time, right? Um, do they spend doing something interesting or do they just stare at the screen all day long, you know? Do they have some extracurricular activities or do they just play on, on their phone, you know? So I think there's going to be, there is already, I think, but You know, it's going to be even that gap is going to get even wider in, in the future, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we're going to see the effects on that. People who can um, who are mindful about how much time they, they spend uh, on their screen and what they do with that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the most important thing, right? Right. So, um, yeah. Do you spend it on TikTok or do you actually, I don't know, read uh, read an article from, I don't know, The Economist, National Geographic, something like this. Yeah. So 
Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's going to be very interesting for students and for teachers, for sure. I don't. I don't think we have the the luxury anymore uh, to not to adapt to changes. I think, especially right now with uh, with the pandemic, we've seen that change can be very sudden, and you have no other choice but to adapt. And I like what you said about the luxury not to adapt to changes because that's exactly how I feel right now with having everything on my phone. I'm already freaked out. And sometimes I like to go out without taking my phone with me, but now I can't anymore yeah. because everything that I need to get into a restaurant is on my phone. And it's, I don't know how it is in Lithuania, but in Germany you have to even um, log into an app to say from what time to which time you were at the restaurant. At the beginning of the pandemic, they still had the paper thingies where you could write down, but now you just they don't let you sit down if you don't log into the app. So even if you had your your uh, COVID certificate, COVID vaccination certificate on a paper, you would still have to log in the app right. and literally uh, declare that you are at this restaurant which to me is scary yeah. because what are they doing with all this information? I understand that it's, you know, safety wise smart because if somebody that was at the same time at the restaurant got COVID, they could just email you or send you a notification. Hey, go test. But uh, at the same time, how long is this information going to be stored? What are they going to do with this information? Um, you know, my phone literally knows what, which restaurants I go to, which bars I go to. So my phone knows, what I like yeah. to do in my free time. Bars and restaurants, right. really. <laughs> Go eat. <laughs> Just eat. I like eating. I like, <laughs> I like doing this. Putting things in my mouth. <laughs> Sounds wrong. Okay. Yeah, but this is just becoming worse. And I know that it is in the, the name of our safety, but I would like to have the luxury... To not do it. Yeah. To say, you know what? I'm going to write down on a piece of paper that I, I am here. Call me if somebody has COVID. Yeah. But don't store it in your database. Yeah, but again, I think it's even with, uh, with real estate, right? So um, even though I think this year, or maybe it was predicted that next year will be the first year in, in a very long time, or maybe ever. No, might not be true. Uh, in a very long time, that the global population actually decreased. I don't know if it, mm. yeah, I I don't know if it was this year or they're predicting that that's what's going to happen next year. But uh, overall trend is that you know we're getting more and more people, which means that cities are going to get more crowded. The planet is going to get more crowded, and you know again, if you Living in a city, I mean, you get used to it, but there is a certain level of stress from the sounds, uh, the smells, uh, the rushing. I mean, it's there. And, you know, some people have their summer houses. Um, they have their, um, I don't know, some house in a country house, right? Um 
but I, I think again because real estate prices are, are going up, this is going to be something that only the rich have in the future, and these are going to be people who will have the luxury to to stay in in silence and in darkness for for a longer um, for longer periods of time. I was talking yesterday to a friend of mine about this. Um, real estate in Berlin is a funny thing because people used to not own any because yeah. rents were low. So why would you pay an insane fee to the bank every month? But now <laughs> the rents are way higher than the fees that you would pay, you know, monthly to a, to, to a bank. Yeah. And uh, it is becoming not just a luxury, but it's almost impossible to buy an apartment in the um, competition with these apartments, I mean, I always assume that if you want to buy an apartment, you have the money, you go give them the money, and then that's it. No, they actually do a full-on scan on you and who you are and what you work before they decide who they give this apartment to. If you fit in the neighborhood, you know, all of these things. It's not just, I have the money, now give me an apartment. You can have the money and not have access to to an apartment where you want it, like in a certain area of the city anymore. Again, social social credit system is just yeah. not in an app and it's not, you know, it's not uh, a developed app yet. So. Yet, but you know, since this is a problem, somebody would probably come up with this idea and say, hey, let's just rate people based on their likability, their jobs, whatever. Whoever has a nine or higher can get an apartment wherever they want. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for real. It's, it's happening right now. But like you said, not in an app yet. But I definitely see this happening at some point. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly the same thing with the episode from Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, I, I think that uh, these um, sci-fi films and sci-fi TV series and, and dystopian ones especially, they, uh, they do take something that is happening right now and they push it a little further. But there's nothing, there's nothing that they show that is completely, let's say, foreign or irrelevant. It's, it's a small thing that's already happening, pushed to a certain limit. That's all it is. But every That's why these books age so well. Yeah. Because they're crazy at the time when they are written. But in 20 years, it's like, eh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it wasn't so crazy. We should write a dystopian book. I wouldn't mind. But I, I don't think I'm, um, I'm, I'm there yet, intelligence-wise. I think you have to be... Yeah, but you can hire a ghostwriter nowadays. Oh, great. Sounds great. I wrote a book. But, um... Is it me? <laughs> you just go to freelance.com. No. There's actually people advertising themselves as ghostwriters. Yeah, I mean, I think this practice has been in... Uh, quite some time but uh if i ever write a book it's gonna be me with all the mistakes that i make with all the i don't know shitty vocabulary choices and uh, i need to r reflect my my shortcomings you know yeah i understand that i, I mean it's, it's therapy first and foremost and then it makes me a millionaire yeah 
exactly. you know <laughs> and, then, and then my millions uh, is my therapy my millions is my therapy <laughs> yes exactly oh god oh, okay um okay. imagine that we talked one hour and 45 minutes we did it's insane it's great i i i knew that dystopia is a great great place to start yeah with joe rogan length uh episodes <laughs> i mean his thing is i don't every guest that he has it's aliens mass surveillance and drugs drugs i mean specifically psychedelics yeah okay okay so enjoy your class thank you uh we have a meeting on friday right yes we do okay okay so i'm gonna see you on friday yes see you on friday bye hon this was so good bye, bye. it was amazing <laughs> bye thank you very much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did Go ahead and follow us at 451pod on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.